HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Hearst Ranch, grass-fed beef raised on California's central coast. Now available online through Larder Meat Company. Learn more at hearstranch.com. This week on Meet and 3, we head into the second part of our mini-series on global trade, where we talk about all things sweet, from chocolate and sugarcane to the cultural festival that accompanied the growth of the date industry in the U.S. They're using this romance and fantasy to say dates are exotic and you should consume them. I like to think of the food that we eat as archaeological artifacts, in part because the history of humanity is in the stands in your produce market. It's not like other foods. We have very like, personal feelings about chocolate. Tune in to Meat and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Aaron Bresnitz. I hope everyone is breathing a little bit easier after Wednesday. I know the 20th was a big sigh of relief for me. It's good to see some actual work in government that is supporting people. I don't think it's uh, time for us to take our eyes off the prize about major changes that helps all of America. But let's be honest, it's just good to see a little work done. We have a really great conversation with one of our good, good, good friends, Dale Talday. He's been busy, so we haven't had him on in a minute, but we talked to him about the opening of Goose Feather in Tarrytown, New York, him being on the next season of Top Chef, what the current state of the restaurant industry looks like, and what the future holds. It is a still long, dark winter for the restaurant industry across America. So how about where you can? Take out if you can, or if not, repost on social media. Every little bit helps with the independent restaurant community. Then we dig into the archives. We have a really fun performance from Odd Kid Out, who was just 20 years old when he was on our show. He's from our hometown of Philadelphia, and he's also co-creator of Fact Magazine. So it's a fun performance, some good music, and, uh, you know, just an all-around really enjoyable show. At least that is what we think. So please... Sit back, relax, and enjoy Snacky Tunes here on HRN. We talk about food. We talk about music. With musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky Tunes. Allora, bello mio, voglio solamente meraviglioso te. Da quando ero piccola, avevo sogni di un pironzato perfetto. Ti amo davvero, ti voglio bene. Salvami, baciami ancora, amami ancora, carissimo, cuore mio, dammi tutto del tuo 
And make chicks spin nights and thongs, so the kind of not quite for long. Yo, you really drawn uh, right now. Love when I hear love when I spit. Yeah. Paint a picture, seeing love with the shit perfect. Seeing love with the drip. So, dog, I can't tell it's a chick. No. See, seeing love with my click. Get money, dress, fly, talk shit. I bet you played a part in the shit. Show me like Melissa Joan Hart and shit. Oh, yeah, you just shit. Need a chick to make a partner and shit. We can take a trip to the big car dealership. Come on, then we you know who you are dealing with. That no murder nigga killing shit. Nigga flow like water, BP, oil still spilling shit. Ball clothes, nigga still feeling it. One bottle left, nigga still chilling it. She still riding, nigga still willing it. Dale, welcome back to Snacky Tunes. It's so good to hear your voice and to catch up. And before we dig into business, how are you doing? I'm good. I mean, all things considering, I mean, we are, uh, you know, in round two of this uh, garbage year and this pandemic. And, um, you know, it is what it, you know, at this point, it's like, it, it's like hit me with your best shot. 
You know, I already, you know, you already took the uppercut from Mike Tyson in March and it's like you hit the canvas and you got back up and, and you're wobbly and you can't see straight and, and, and your head's a little cl- cloudy and, you know, let's do it again. You know, ding, ding, another round. So let's, at this point, it's like, there's only up, you know, it's like, it's like what everybody says, man. It, it's only, it, the only way you can go is up from here, right? Because it's been such a, like, just god awful year. Um how much worse can it get? Yeah, and um, we're definitely going to get into that. And if there was any sort of silver lining or reformation of why I love working with chefs and have been happy to call some of them my friends is that there is that resilience, you know, that like you just throw literally the worst scapegoating onto an entire industry and no one's asking for a handout. They're just saying, hold us up till we can get back to normal. Yeah, you know, um, and we're gonna get we're, we're gonna get into that, but I want to go back a little bit because it's been a minute since we've we've had you on the show, and I'd like to take us back to a magical time known as fall 2019, which if I had known what a special era in dining out that would be, I would have laughed because you know at that point the world has just been chugging along in the restaurant scene. We're in this golden age. Restaurants are opening up everywhere. It's assumed and expected that you can go to any town in America and get a bang out meal. And you prove that point by opening up Goose Feather in Terrytown. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit about the inspiration behind that and how you landed on that location. Yeah, no, man. I mean, you know, <clears throat> I feel like this has been a this has been an odd couple of years for me. Um, you know, I had been with partners and you know, dissolved a group, opened and closed a ton of restaurants. Um, and as all, as partnerships go, you know, you, you kind of, you get to a point with them and, and, and listen, at the end of the day, a lot of these are like marriages, right? They end really badly and mine ended really badly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I won't, I won't, you know, I won't put the blame on everybody, but it, it you know, a literal is me, literal was other people and a lot was one dude. And, you know, when someone's really dishonest and, and a shitty person, then um, you just got to leave it. So, you know, closed some restaurants was really in a, a precarious place when um, a former uh, colleague had connected me with somebody and said, hey, you want to take a look at this property? It's in Terrytown. It's 30 minutes from where you live in Fort Lee. Just take a look at it. They need an operator. They had somebody in the 11th hour fall through. And I took a look at it and looked at the space and it was like straight out of 1992, like just, you know, but there had mm. to be some vision, right? There's a lot of spaces that like that had to be some vision. And then they kind of opened the back doors to the old mansion, 180 year old mansion. And they say, and it's back outside spaces yours to operate. And I just saw like, boom, opportunity. Um, Love it. So we landed on it and, um, you know, out the gate, we didn't open up the back, the backyard, but we opened inside this mansion about a hundred seats. 120, 130 seats um, with the idea that I'm going to do it my way this time instead of, you know, having like, obviously, right. It's, it's, it was, you know, I, st- I started a new uh, hospitality brand, with my wife, and it was like, no more of the little, like no more of just of, of making crappy decisions. So, so we can all stop fighting. Right. It's like, just do it the way you want to do it from the get. And and what what make this happen? And that's what we did. Yeah, so we opened Goose Feather. And to be honest with you, it was, you know, it was, it was it's probably the the most rewarding and the best thing I've ever done. 
hundred percent because it's it's it, the vision is mine, solely mine. Um, you know, with obviously team members and my GM and my chef, who's really you know always these more important people in the grand scheme of things than myself at this point. But um, you know, it was, uh, it was rewarding and refreshing and really hard, but um, amazing to do. You know, part of going to a location like Terrytown, getting out of these major metropolitan areas does allow you that freedom to have a full vision. Because a lot of the times when you're opening up in, let's say, Brooklyn or New York, especially in the last five or 10 years, you need outside money, you need investors, you're trying to, you know, gild the lily a little bit of the culinary media. But when you go to these secondary tertiary markets, and there's a desire for this level of chef and this level of food to come, it does give you a little bit of freedom. So what have you gained and where do you look for in this project and maybe ones in the future? Is it back to the city and this is your upstate anchor or you're just like, I'm done with New York and Brooklyn? Yeah, you know, I'm never going to say I'm done with something, but it just feels like it's right right now. And it feels like obviously with what's happening around us that, um, you know, a lot of people have made, you know, it, it's like this. It's like, you, you, I mean, you and I both, right? We made the decision, we left the city and now we've, we, we, we are in kind of what, quote-unquote the burb right sure I feel like there's a lot of us in, in 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 our age group who one love to dine still want to have fun think they're cool still <laughs> we live out we live out in the burb so it's like what um i think there's just that trend and especially it's been accelerated with a lot of people um listen if this year didn't you know you were on the fence this year of like hey should we make the move this year yeah Let's do it. And um, you find that there's people living, not living in a city that are these people who dine three nights a week, four nights a week, took out food. Um, know what a fantastic cocktail, you know, don't go to the bar and order uh, a vodka tonic or a gin and tonic every single night. You know what I mean? They're like, they want to try a cool new cocktail. They want to be surprised by a, a funky um, new wine producer. They want to be ch- they want to be challenged with very cool food that they um, that they're kind of yearning for, right? So for me, it just makes sense to kind of like, hey, look at these other markets, and it's, we and I've done this before. Like when I was in Park Slope, like there were some great restaurants in Park Slope, but like, yes, you know, nobody was doing what we were trying to do. Um, no, there was a handful of people trying to do what we were doing and doing what we were doing. But you know, when we did that, it kind of validated for other people to say, yes, let's do this. So um, it just feels like. There's a need in these other places. Um, I think it's like it's like this when you go to an airport, right? And, and like you and I both traveled a ton. It's like you you've traveled to places, smaller markets, smaller cities where there wasn't a direct flight, but you landed in that small city or you connected, and you're like, oh, there's a cool barbecue place, mm-hmm. or there's a cool ramen shop here. Like what what's this ramen shop doing in like this airport? Every place needs good food because people understand, like, the level of food has gone up. The level of quality has gone up tenfold now. You're not just going to settle for crap anymore. People want, um, you know, eating is, eating good is, like, becoming this birthright where before it wasn't. It was like, hey, let me just get a a crappy burger at this really bad fat food chain, which I love. But people aren't relying on that 100% anymore. No, and I think... Given food's explosion and popularity and moved to the mainstream in the last 10 years, especially for those of us who 
were in our 20s or early 30s when that was happening, who now have grown up and have kids and things like that, you know, if anything, there are things from that time in our lives where we're like, I don't need to do that anymore. I've grown out of that. But if anything, I still want that good meal. And I definitely want that down the street for me. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's a lot of families like that. There's a lot of people who say, you know, okay, I'll leave maybe some of the party lifestyle behind, but I still want to be able to go down the street and get, you know, this specific food, this taco, this ramen, you know, this, this chicken and things like that. Totally. Now I want to, I want to get back a little bit to the cuisine goose feather because, you know, Chinese food, especially in America, I would say is probably one of the most well-known popular cuisines. Everyone's got some sort of Chinese food example in their restaurant, but it's probably also one of the most misunderstood or mutated type of cuisines yeah. that's represented in the United States. What were you trying to show at Goose Feather with your take on Chinese food? You know, that's a question I ask every day. I think it's evolving. Um, I think, you know, in the beginning it was like, hey, we're going to focus on, um, you know, you got to have these taglines for it. And I guess sure media and, 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 and just kind of like the way people search out food, you got to have taglines and I, it's, it's, you hopefully as a chef and a restaurateur, you can get to a part of your career where you don't have to have those taglines, but inevitably you do, you know, like Stephen Farrow is that, you know, if you're meeting on the corner of this and this with five other people and, and you don't know where to go eat, it's like, what do you ask? What do you guys want? You know, mm. or you, know, you kind of have to kind of pigeonhole yourself into one of these positions, but um, it's really evolving. But Goose Feather started off as like, you know, it's Cantonese, modern seasonal Cantonese cuisine with a focus on Hong Kong. And that's really what I loved about the saying at the end of it, the focus on Hong Kong. It's kind of like saying, you know, we're, we're the cuisine of New York City, which kind of doesn't mean anything because New York City's the largest melting pot in the world. And next to Hong, you know, next to New York, Hong Kong is kind of that next melting pot of the world. You know what I mean? It's like one of the most, um, you know, transient cities in the world. Um, so, you know, I spent a week there and, what I, that's what I noticed. Like, dude, everyone speaks English. There is a million. It, it, it's like New York City. You don't eat just Chinese food or Cantonese food or dim sum when you're in, in Hong Kong. You, you, you can eat everything, you know? Like some of the best pizza, um, great mm. food, a fantastic burger. Um, so, you know, I, I think when we, when we kind of tag that part, Hong Kong, it gave us the liberty to um, do whatever. And at the end of the day, we're just doing food that we love that has a, uh, you know, uh, a Cantonese and Chinese bend to it. Um, is it authentic? No, but, you know, nothing I do is purely authentic. And um, we wanted to bring a level of, uh, of, of fun. Um, and we wanted to really hone it because there's good food in Westchester. There's yeah. Chinese food in Westchester. Um, but we wanted to bring kind of like that the we wanted to try and nail all three phases or four phases of 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 you know if you wanted to use football term we wanted to do we wanted service we wanted the beverage program the wine program the food the ambiance the music we wanted all that to be kind of a reason why you go to goose feather as opposed to someplace else yeah i mean i totally get that because just doing exact replicas of classic cantonese dishes is an art form but it's not as specific or personable 
as if you're going to put your own twist on it. And I think if you pay respect to the base of the culture and then add your own flourishes, it, it does make it something new and different. And then, you know, in one way or another, that's what people are looking for today. It's like, oh yeah, that's really great, uh, you know, roast duck or char siu or, you know, something like that or dim sum. But then there's a little something extra that you can only get at this place that makes you want to go back. Yeah, 100%. So um, pre-pandemic, paint us the perfect picture of a night at Goose Feather. And this is really just for me to listen to when we get off the show and I can fantasize about what it was like to dine out. Well, I got to tell you, man, you know, as as cozy as the restaurant is and I love it, I think, you know, I think – the restaurant's beautiful. I, I do think a night out at Blue Feather, um, let's go post-pandemic because I think we mm. are going into this space um, really nicely. And um, as much as I love the cozy rooms, you know, we have the library, we have the great room. The great room is one of the better rooms that I think in the space. It um, has, this, you know, this kind of candle fixture center of the center of the room that I love. Dining outside there is going to be so sick next year. I mean, mm. You know, this summer we put a garden back there that was, you know, I had like 20 varieties of tomatoes, like 30 varieties of chilies. Um, it's a 40 foot by five foot garden bed that we just maxed out. Um, eggplants, uh, squash. I mean, it, we had like, we had like probably 20 or 30 types of herbs growing. We had um, a lot of that from seed. I mean, obviously we had the time in, in you know, uh, April, uh, you know, March and, and May yeah. we time, March and April, we had the time to like seed things. And um, it was really cool. Uh, outside was really cool. We put up these great bistro lights. Um, you know, I think it starts off with a fantastic cocktail from our beverage director and, you know, our head cocktail, uh, our head bar person. And, and then you move into our wine program, which is primarily old world wines. And then, hmm. I don't know, it's usually four to four or five, six people is great because you can go try a lot of that menu and which yeah. you get the whatever tagline people like, oh, you know, more people. Yeah, but it's true. I mean, some of our food, you know, our food's meant to share um, yeah. kind of Asian form. And, you know, you get a half a duck, you get a lobster, um, I'm in. a bunch of dim sum and, and call it a night. And then. You know, we're next summer. We're we're taking the front lawn and we're 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 building our our bar like an outdoor bar out there. So, we're really trying to grow into the space and see kind of maximize the uh, the property and what it can do. Yeah. Well, look before we we head to break and before we shift to the more pandemic part of this conversation. You know, despite everything that happened this year, the wonderful Jeff Gordon here and Esquire Magazine put together their best new restaurant list. And you were on it, which yep. is, you know, to read the list. And I mean, you know, shout out to Jeff. You wrote the forward for our book, which you were also a part of. But Jeff just, you know, it's such a wrestle to see these lists now. And they're coming out because it's the end of the year. Um, but in some ways, it's great to see these lists, right? It's a reminder of like everything's changed. And then in some ways for those who unfortunately will be the ones to survive while a lot of fail, they come back like, there is going to be a life in restaurants after this is over. Yeah. But what was it like to be on the list? And why do you think it was important for that list to come out? Um, Darren, can I tell you that in my uh, time of cooking, and I mean, you've been to a lot of restaurants that I've opened, almost every single one of them. Um, yep. uh, I've never got a greater accolade than this. This was like mm. the best accolade that I've, I mean, honestly, the best accolade I've ever had. I mean, um, 
and I think it's more important because I did it, it, it did it with my wife and I did it with the team that I, that I put together, but sing, you know, like without, I have partners in the restaurant that are amazing because they, they, they believe in what we do and they kind of give us the, they give us the keys to the castle, but I did it the way I wanted to do it. And I knew that that was the right way to do it. Um, so it was, it was amazing. And it was, um, it, it's a feather in everybody's hat that's worked there. I said, you know, and, and, and it's cliche, but this goes to the people who wrap your, who, who bang it out every day, who make the schedule to uh, do the dishes, who clean the bathroom, who um, pack up to go, pack up to go boxes, who that's really, this it's the team. Um, I work with the person to kind of put it together and then give them the, the framework to, to let them run with the ball. And um, it's amazing. And I'm, I'm really proud of it. And, um, you know, and, and I told those guys that it, it, this is amazing accolade, but this is where the hard work of, you know, because we have to prove to the world that um, we were deserving of this uh, amazing accolade. Amazing. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick musical break and we're going to come back. We're going to talk about the current state of the restaurant world, how lawmakers need to step up. And uh, we'll look a little bit to the future. We have a song from the archives here on Snacky Tunes on HRN. Just peep the Criola, a colorful blend of party people love the odor. 
different rust. Love smells like us. Native soliloquy, heaven with melody. Plus, we parallel and paramount proportion. Please, I come to please with a proper portion. Man, the portions are proper. Servants are hard. Mr. Jenga with the lengua, wrecking your body. We just be blessed, ridiculous. Me, I'm Dr. E.S. I spit beloved. Ha! I'm Jerobi Continental, spilling words on your thoughts, leaving stains on your mental. Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. We are chatting with a longtime friend of the show and friend in life, Dale Talday. And, you know, it has been a devastating year for independent restaurants. I believe the recent number I saw was 100,000 independent restaurants have closed in the last eight months, which um, sort of goes back to what we were talking about in the first part is that it is now expected that any city you land in, any place you go, you want that meal. You want to know that there's a restaurant there and that you can have something that is indicative of the city, but also something that's inspiring, something that leaves you with a memory of, of a town and really does inspire travel and, and you know, not to be gauche about it, but financial drive to go to a city or to go to a town and things like that. But in many ways... Um, the local, state, federal levels are failing restaurants. What are they missing and what are the biggest shortcomings that they've had? I mean, for me, I feel like um, I just saw somebody. I just saw somebody the other day, like uh, like a department of buildings or some, somebody posted that like or the department of traffic is like coming down on people's structures that they're building outside in the city. It's like what – what, what 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 do you want us to do? You know what I mean. These guys are <laughs> right. trying to, you know, like a lot of us aren't making money, but a lot of us are trying to keep the doors open so that we don't have to lay off forty people. You know what I mean? And it's mm. like it's like, dude, I'm not, December's a wash for me. I'm gonna be real, man. The summer was good because we had the outdoor space. Yeah. The, December, January, February is gonna be a wash. I mean, it's gonna. I'll barely make money if I if I make money. I mean, I'll. You know, it's probably going to be a losing a losing situation, but um, you know, I want to keep these guys employed. I want to keep somebody. I want to keep a paycheck in people's hands. Um, I think what they're missing is is like the speed at which this needs to get done. Like people are are like literally working check to check and looking for their next meal. So, like you know, I think there's people like Tom Colicchio was arguing with somebody on on Twitter about like. You know, don't look at restaurants as the only small businesses, but, you know, the, as the focus, it's like, no, we get it, man. There's a lot of small businesses out there. But do you know what it runs to cost a laundromat? Not, yeah. I mean, it takes a few people. It doesn't take a lot of people. Do you know what it takes to run a restaurant? Even like a 50 or 60 seat restaurant, a small restaurant, it takes a lot of people. You're, you know, you if you, you are looking to put, 
you're looking, the help that's being needed is so much more in restaurants because of what it takes for us to, uh, to even operate. And that's just the fact, I mean, that's just the way restaurants are. You can't open a restaurant with just two or three people. It doesn't work like that. Um, so, I mean, there's been a lot of examination of how restaurants were run before. And you do mention check to check and you do mention, you know, uh, some of the tough issues of running a restaurant financially and structurally. Do you think people are going to be able to change when they come out of this or is it, you know, making up lost revenue because so many people are just getting into a deeper and deeper hole right now and they're going to have to claw their way back. And so while there's the desire to change, do you think there will be actual room to change? Are you saying for, for the help or for actual restaurateurs and chefs? I think it's a mix, right? I think it's restaurateurs and chefs and the people who effectively own the business and the people who work and support the business. I I think, I think that, I think the change will come. I, I think this. I think you're already starting to see the change. I started, you're starting to see people who who understood their business, like, hey, um, like pizzerias, right? And I've, mm-hmm. I've noticed some of the in the in the area that I'm I'm at, they just stopped doing indoor dining and they will never go back to it. They're killing it. They're making yeah. they're crushing it right now. And they're like, why do I need the over? Why do I? I'm more pro. It's sad. It, I'm more profitable not having a dining room and just doing takeout and to go. Now yeah. that might change in the future, right? They might look at it and be like, Oh, you know, everyone's going back out again. I need to open my dining room again. Or other people might say, you know what? Even if that happens, I've done the numbers and it's, it's, I make more money doing what I'm doing now currently without a dining. room. So I think there's going to be that type of change. Um, but there's always going to be, listen, you and I want to go out. Dining is not about being fed. Mm-mm. It's not about just being fed. It's not just about eating. It's about being out and socializing. And that will never go away. Because, and you're, you see it now. I guarantee this. The, like, the first, like when, when, when we're out of this on the other side and everything's open 100%, no matter what season it will be like or what, what season it will be in, it will be like the first nice day in spring in like downtown New York. Say everywhere, summer. everywhere. It will be tables outside. There will be four or five tops of people drinking like eight bottles of rosé. Oh my god! Getting stupid drunk. People, they, you know, food is, at this point, food is so secondary, or you know, it's like the third or fourth thing on the list that people people just want to be out. Yeah, Gr- uh, grinder and 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 Tinder is going to explode on the other yeah. end of this. It's buy that stock now. It's get in on the ground floor. Oh my god, it's gonna it's it's gonna be crazy because people are just missing that interaction, the social interaction. That's what that's what we're here for. We're we're we're, we're you know. I'm waiting for that moment to walk into that first restaurant and f- hear the thrum of the room and feel the vibe. And I, it's like, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, it's, it's going to give you chills again. No, I know. And, you know, you know, we've been doing as much takeout as we can. Um, Obviously uh, there are some days when I'm like, Oh, I'm wearing three or four pieces of restaurant merch at once. Um, (laughs) But at some point, you know, 
it's just really tough to to be excited about this, but then also and know that what's sitting between us and that is this winter. And I think the hundred thousand number is going to go up for restaurants that are going to close. Um, oh, without a doubt. What do you, what do you think is going to happen? And I guess now that I mean, this is the toughest question, right? Like winter's coming, all these restaurants are closed. These people aren't going to stop wanting to be chefs and open restaurants, right? Mm-hmm. So can you walk away from a restaurant? You know, if it's like, a, you know, not to get into the technical of it, but like if it's an LLC, you're just like, I'm done. I'm bankrupt. Good luck. There's no money there. I'm not paying anyone. I'm really sorry. Yeah. Um, and then do people just open up a new restaurant? Like what's going to happen with all these people who stopped their original place? Will you see a whole new crush of restaurants? Did it stop our president, our current president now? How many times has he filed for bankruptcy? Sure. He's filed bankruptcy a million times. How many times has all these have banks or bankers or all these people filed for bankruptcy and just started all over again? That's what bankruptcy is for, right? And it's like, listen, guys, like I'm not an advocate, you know, like everyone got to do what they got to do and you got to put food on your table. And it's like, you'll find another way to do it for a little while. I had a mm. another restaurant where he's like, man, this is hard. And I was just like, would you ever do a, uh, a professional, a personal chef gig? I'm like, dude, I will do anything to put food and take care of my family. So if yeah. I be a personal chef, I'll do it. I don't I mean, listen, I'll do whatever it takes. Like I've thought about like, you know, and that's the, the, that's the, the beauty of, I think what it is that we do. We are that yeah. flexible to say, okay, I'm not going to do this. You know, I'm not going to be a chef in a restaurant. I'm going to be a chef for a family or I'm going to start catering outside of my home. I'm going to start building these to-go meals. I'm going to do these Zoom classes i'm you know we've done a million different ways to, to earn an income and, and it's that's not going to stop you know what i mean there's always yeah. a dream somewhere right there's always a dream somewhere for somebody so it's like whether it's consulting or you're going overseas or you're talking to someone um with a restaurant in upstate new york or you know what i mean like there's always a dream for somebody and at some point it's like everyone knows it's coming back so it's like you know, it's, it's temporary, right? If you got to like bag groceries temporarily or drive Uber, even though no one's using them or, you know, do whatever you got to do for right now, you got to work at Amazon. People got to do, they're going to grind out until they get on the other side of this. And then, um, there's going to be a lot of opportunity on the other side of this. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, we were both in New York during the financial crisis and I remember the haranguing of end of fine dining end of eating out, you know, cheeseburgers food trucks that's it that's the future and that didn't prove out to be i but i think you saw a shift i think you saw a shift in like the more accessible of these maybe one star two star restaurants where you're not going out and dropping 100 200 bucks on a meal but maybe you're going in for 70 or 80 and you're still getting a really good experience yeah that's gonna you know they'll they will they'll find their way and it's like it's like what you and i are, are talking about like it might not be in the city. You know, it might be in the show yeah. of New Jersey. It might be in Asbury Park. It might be in, you know, it might be in upstate New York. It might be in Pennsylvania. It might be in Pittsburgh. It might be in, it, it might be somewhere where you're not thinking of right now that people are all moving to and saying, okay, this is where, you know what I mean? And I feel like people have also used the time to like, okay, th- I'm not cooking right now. What I, I want to pursue a little bit, of, of something that I've always wanted to do. And like, like me, like, like I, like I'm, you know, working on a screenplay with a friend and mm. you know, doing some, you know, do, like trying to get those creative juices flowing in other ways of like, you know, p- 
pit, you know, writing a pitch for a TV show that's based around, um, you know, kind of finding my Filipino identity and Filipino mm. food and, you know, like it's all that stuff. It's like, listen, I, it, I can do that because I, I feel like I have the means to do it, but it's also something that I want to do. Right. And I feel like chefs yeah. are always exploring, like, what do you want to do as opposed to what, you know, I feel like a lot of times we get, you know, it's like, I'm a chef. This is what I have to do. It's like, not really. Yeah. You know, the late, great Anthony Bourdain taught us that. Yeah, no, I think that you can explore a lot of lanes. And, you know, speaking of TV and additional lanes, I had an absolute blast watching you give us a little peek behind the scenes of the new season of Top Chef coming out, which, you know, I also work in media. I work in, in, in TV as well. And it has been an absolute 180 approach to making food TV and production right now. But what made you want to do another season? Um, I know that you've already hit the heights of, I believe it was sixth place. Yeah. If, uh, if my records have twice, have twice. Yeah. Yeah. Twice. Um, but you know, why go back? Why do this? Why is a show like this in top chef, you know, important to do, you know, and obviously takes away from your family. You're isolating now, you know, you're away from the business. Um, what brought you in and what can people expect from this season? I think it was, it was an amazing opportunity. I thought it was when I heard the details of how it was going to get done, there was a natural curiosity of like, whoa, I want to see this because I've gone through two seasons, obviously, or three seasons of like, you know, the normal way of, of, of doing the show and just to hear about everyone being in a bubble, we're quarantining, everyone's going to get yeah. checked for COVID every two days. Um, you know, like just how they were going to run it was it, it, it kind of crazy to me. Um, and I was curious, and the opportunity to see good good friends, uh, opportunity to work with producers who are like from OG, like, dude, I'm single digits top chef, like I'm yeah. four and eight. Like the first season wasn't even in like high def. We were season season. I was watching season four with my friends wanted to see a couple episodes, so we were kind of watching it together. And I was like, dude, this is even in high def. Like, that's how old this is. How old I am at it. So. Like just to be part of to, to see that that was a great opportunity, especially now. Um, you know, to it's a great opportunity for the restaurant to kind of get back on the map for Westchester and Fairytown to be like, hey, there's a yeah. dude who was on TV he's right here. He's in the middle of the season. I think it'll be fun for everybody to watch. Um, and just to you know be part of the it, once you're in the Top Chef family, obviously you're you're always part of it. But to to experience it as a judge was I thought in a really amazing opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, oftentimes we don't oftentimes, you know, if you get asked back, you maybe see a quick fire or you see an elimination, but to see the entire process start to finish, um, was pretty cool. And they brought back, you know, it was interesting to see everyone together because depending on how, you know, chefs or when you get into them, um, you're like, Oh, I came to this person that way. You know, it's sort of like sports, right? Like, Oh, I remember when you were playing for the Padres, but now you're with the Dodgers or, you know, you know, or it's like, Oh, now you were, you know, so many of the flyers went over to the Kings. So I'm sort of like a Kings guy now. And, uh, (laughs) but to see some of my favorite people and chefs who I've, you know, loved working with or met professionally was just like a total blast. And to realize like that top chef has really covered the spread of who's risen. And, you know, maybe it's a little bit of, again, like, you know, gaming the system because if you're on top chef then you get to that level and things like that but you know kwame brooke blaze you know Kristen, like it, it's it's amazing to see all of you guys together and actually looking like your friends 
it was really, and I can tell you, we are. Um, yeah. You get us, you get us, you get a bunch of knuckleheads in in a room, and, and we, will, <laughs> we will cause we will cause ruckus. Now we're older. A lot of us have kids. Some of us aren't as party animals as we used to be. Uh, um, how could we be, Dale? How could we be? Listen, dude, we did, but it wasn't for like it wasn't from like you know one a.m. to nine a.m. For some of them, it was. But for me, it was more like, you know, 10 a.m. to 2 a.m. Or 10, 10 p.m. to 2, 2 a.m. So it was a yeah, yeah. period of time. Um, we still turned up. Um, and some of those videos you can see, you know, if you follow my Instagram, you'll see some of it turning up. Yeah. But, um, it was a blast, man. It was really good to see and really fun to meet some people. Like, I, I love Blaze. He's my OG homie from back yeah. in the day. But to meet someone like Greg. Um, love Greg. Gregory Gaudet. I mean, that guy is an amazing person. Melinda, his, his cookbook's going to be amazing. It's going to be fun. And his restaurant is going to be, it's going to, I, I know it'll, it'll be an amazing, it's going to be an amazing restaurant. Um, I got a chance to eat at departure when he was there and it was just like, what? Like, how are, how are you putting up this food? Can I and it just you, blew me away. Can I tell you one story that we did? So yeah, we, we cooked for, we cooked, we had only, you know, because of the circumstances, there wasn't a lot of time. There wasn't a lot of, opportunities for, for us to cook together so when we did we really maximized we maximized it greg would made this isan style duck curry that man mm. forever i was like damn greg why are you taking so long like we're all packed up ready to go he's like it's a little longer man i, I, I need a little more time <laughs> this dude put, he put this on the table and you know when a good a meal is really good it gets real quiet yeah it's almost like the tsunami like it's that weird like quiet it got real eerie and quiet that's what it was like when he put his duck curry down and the whole table i'm talking like 13 14 15 people like we're just quiet no words being said and that's when you knew i was like dude that i can still just talking about it right now i can taste i can taste it um it was amazing but you know and he's a perfect example to bring a little bit full circle of just not that Portland is off the map with the food scene anyway, but here's a guy who's been like simmering off, you know, doing his thing. And obviously he's been around with Top Chef and did the beard thing. And now I feel that he's going to spring onto the national scene in a completely different way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just, you know, and I think that's what you're going to see with a lot of chefs in these smaller towns, especially with social media, right? With everyone being connected and people like Jeff Gordon of the world who are on the hunt to pull the best out of America and share it with people. And it's going to be even more exciting, you know, you just do a road trip and hit 10 of the best restaurants in the world driving through the middle of the country. Uh, amen, man. I mean, the guy, you're going to find places in, you know, Toluca, California or, or, or wherever, <laughs> you know, you're going to find, you know, Niles, Illinois, where I'm from, someone's going to open a restaurant and you're going to be like, damn, that was dope, you know? And, that was dope. You know, and that's, and yeah. that, that's. I think that's what it's going to be like. I think people are going to um, be surprised at the level. People are going home a lot. Mm. You know what I mean? Chefs that were out in the city, chefs that were out in LA and New York and Chicago that weren't from there are like, dude, it's time for me to go back home. And, it's time, and, there's, and there's no shame in that anymore. You know, it used to be like, I, I got four cities I'm going to cook in because that's what the world cares about, right? Yeah. And now it's just like, no one cares anymore. No, put up the best food wherever you can. Yeah, and 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 it's and it, it makes it makes the landscape so much better for everybody. Um, and I don't know, just a sense of giving back when you go home, right? 
like so you yeah. go back to where you're from um it's like this like hey man i'm i'm, I'm back and like i want to make an impact in my city and i want to make a i want to make a difference you know in an, in a in a community that i know very well and that kind of helped raise me hmm. well awesome well dale i can't thank you enough for taking the time to chat with us uh if people want to follow along see what's going on with Goof Feather, um, where can they go? How can they follow along with, with everything you got going on in your world? No, uh, yeah, man. Uh, hit us up at uh, GooseFeatherNY. Um, that's our Instagram handle. Um, follow us at Food Crush Hospitality uh, on Insta. And then me on Instagram and Twitter at just Dale Taldy, D-A-L-E-T-A-L-D-E. And uh, you know, we're up to, man, because we're doing some funky stuff and we're going to try and keep on pushing it well uh, until the wheels fall off, right? I mean, it's the only thing you can do. Fall off soon. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, listen, uh, thank you so much. We got another song from the archives and then a live performance from the archives here on Snacky Tunes on HRN. Is it wicked? And can I lick it?
This episode is brought to you by Hearst Ranch. The Hearst family has raised cattle on California's central coast since 1865. Today, Hearst Ranch's signature product is their 100% grass-fed, completely hormone and antibiotic-free beef. The Hearst Ranches have always treated their animals with great care. Their cattle live a completely natural existence as foragers and grazers. Well-managed grazing fertilizes the land naturally, sustains a seasonal rhythm to the ranches, and produces a remarkable meat whose flavor is the authentic taste of the American West. Hearst Ranch beef is available seasonally, May through August, in select whole food markets throughout California, and all year round at their retail locations in San Simeon and Paso Robles. And now... HRN listeners in Arizona, Nevada, and California can get Hearst Ranch beef delivered right to their door through Larder Meat Company. Go to lardermeatco.com and shop the 100% grass-fed box to stock your freezer with Hearst Ranch beef. That's L-A-R-D-E-R meatco.com. Learn more about the storied history, farming practices, and conservation efforts of Hearst Ranch at hearstranch.com. Welcome back. Uh, we have Odd Kid out. Live hey, hey, hey. Uh, Can I call you Odd Kid or can I call you Butch? You can call me Butch. Okay, Butch. Welcome to Snacky Tunes. Thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for coming up from Philly. For sure. For uh, sure. Darren and I are from Philly as well. No Born and raised. Yeah. Why well, did you say that in the email? Well, just for this moment. <laughs> um, but I mean, when I say Philly, I you know, since you're from there, we're all from the main line. Are you from Philly proper? Or well, so technically I'm from the suburbs. So I'm like from Chestnut Hill area. Okay. Te- technically from Orland, but no one knows where that is. No, I, I've <laughs> never heard of that. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, grew up in the suburbs, and uh, now that I go to Drexel, living in the city in West Philly. So, uh, how do you feel about living in Philly full time? I love it. it. It really puts you, as an artist and a creative, it puts you in a completely different environment. Because in the, not that the burbs are bad, it's just like being around, you know, people my age and being around the city and just being influenced by everything happening there is like so much, so much better for me. Yeah, I mean, I think this the second that we turned, like, became teenagers, like the day we turned 13, we just started going to like the truck and the church. Yeah. And just going downtown as like as often as we possibly could. Yep, yep. I mean, and we can see Center City from our window, but there's a difference between, you know, being in the suburbs and then just being in it. Exactly. Uh, what are some of your favorite rooms to play in there? So I've played the TLA, which is actually probably one of the, the best that's shows amazing. I've played. Yeah. I feel like that's like a total feather in the cap. Oh, yeah, for yeah, sure. Especially growing up there. Oh, yeah. It's like you got to go to the TLA. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's been a great place. I've played great shows at the track. Um, even plays like the Hard Rock is great. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't think that was a venue when I was, uh, or I don't ever remember going to shows. Oh, there, really? It was mostly like the forty forty, uh, which might, is not around anymore. But like yeah. the the truck and just a bunch of like also house shows as well. Right. Definitely. Uh, what's the Drexel like house party show scene like? It's great. I mean, for what I do, being a producer in hip hop, there's not a lot of outlets. Right. Um, there's a lot of stuff for like rock music and punk music. Right. And I'll go to those every now and then just because I love all types of music. But um. But no, it's great. There's a lot of people at Drexel that, that do music, obviously, and you know people want to find new music all the time. So um, you have a pretty interesting background uh, on things. So um, you did uh, School of Rock. You did mm-hmm. like drawing for Rock Legends. Like, tell us how you kind of got into all of this. Yeah. So I'll, I'll give you the lowdown. Yeah. Um, so when I was like probably I don't know maybe five or six, my dad saw me like drumming in the back seat. Um, just like air drumming and he was like you know what let's buy him a drum set so when I was six that's like the only parent that's ever said that <laughs> <laughs> I know right noise complaints yeah. um, so 
he bought me a drum set when I was six and um, got enrolled in the School of Rock, which was like the best thing I could have done. Um, For people who don't know, wh- what is it? Mm-hmm. So it's basically like an after-school program that kids can go to, and once a week you do lessons and then you do shows. So the shows consist of covers of like, you know, they have a classic rock show and you do that. They have like ACDC, Pink Floyd, all that stuff. Um, and so I did that from around age 8 to 14. Um, but I, I stayed taking lessons there with a guy named Jim Love until I was probably 18. Um, and they just taught me so, so much. So I was very, very grateful to, to go there. What was one of the things do you think like going to School of Rock kind of like uh, prepared you for that maybe just like being in bands and not getting like a more quote unquote formal education? Yeah, yeah. well, I, it really taught me, first of all, how to format songs. Because when mm-hmm. you're young and you have to learn how to memorize songs, it, it kind of like becomes engraved in you. Um, the other great thing was that you get to be surrounded by kids your age that like music because there's not a lot of musicians when you're younger that really want to take it seriously. So being in that environment was like priceless. So how did you make the jump from, do you still play drums? Oh yeah. Oh, okay. Sure. So how did you make the transition, the jump from drums to producing and, and doing, uh, like electronic music? So... I had always been a drummer, and I was just yearning to do something more creative. Not that the drums aren't creative, but I wanted a little more creative control. And um, for my, I guess, when I was 14, my mom bought me this this Native Instruments machine and Logic Pro. Dude, your parents are awesome. Dude, amazing. <laughs> that's, amazing. Like, that's like two key moves that you've already said. That's, that's great. They set me up for success. Yeah. Shout out, Mom and Dad. Um, but yeah, they got that for my birthday, and then uh, I spent... All of high did you ask practicing. for it, or did they just like, hey, we read about this thing, and like, we think you would be into this? Well, my mom started noticing how much I liked hip hop and like making beats and stuff, and and she actually saw it on I think like Apple's homepage. She just saw like Logic Pro go up, and she's like, hey, do you want this for your birthday? And I was like, uh, yeah, <laughs> amazing. <laughs> so that, awesome. that's like so. I mean, okay, keep going. So yeah, yeah. So anyway, so <laughs> I spent like all of high school just sitting in my room figuring it out like i didn't take lessons for my mpc or anything like that i I just youtube stuff and um i took what i knew from drumming and music and just put it to it so um can we hear something yeah yeah of course i'll put some on right uh what are you gonna do for us first uh i'm gonna play a beat called through you okay
So you mentioned that you're uh, a Drexel. How do you find the balance between being a musician and a student? Tough. <laughs> um, Go on. Yeah, so, I mean, both are very time-consuming and require a lot of attention and work. So, um, you know, sometimes I battle with choosing what comes first and what's more important. I mean, I love school, but... Um, what are you studying? Music business. Oh, so, I mean, it's relatable. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely relatable. I mean, there's, there's some times where you have to take classes that have nothing to do with what you want to do, which is always a pain. But, um... But no, I mean, I think I'm doing a good job kind of balancing it all. It just it just takes a lot of, you know, uh, planning and also just sacrificing a lot of things, you know, as far as like not going out on the weekends and to catch up on work and stuff. So, I mean, if this goes well, you'll be out like far enough, like that'll like kind of even out in the end. Right. Um, how's the reception been to to your music and, you know, where are you finding your place in the Philadelphia uh, music scape? It's it's really been great. Um I, I just started producing as Odd Kid Out about eight or nine months ago, and um, in that time frame, I've I've gotten myself to around sixty five thousand followers on Instagram. And um, have I mean, got... that's how I found you. I was Instagram? like just like through Instagram. Oh, really? And uh, your email was in there. I mean, that's how I found right. you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, it works. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Just... <laughs> it's like an online business card. That's yeah. what I always say. And it's it's kind of amazing. Like sometimes for bands, how hard it is to to track them down yeah uh, but you made it real easy which well, is why you're sitting great. here yeah of course man. thanks um but no it's, it's it's good because i took the connections that i had from drumming and just you know being in the music scene and um hit those people up and we're like hey you know i'm not just a drummer i'm a producer too and um been been booked on some shows and keeping them moving so um and how have like you found to like the older like Philadelphia music scene? Like, is it like you within the Drexel scene, or are you like in the larger Philadelphia scene as well? I would probably say I'm I'm doing more outside of Drexel. Not that I don't have support from Drexel. I just find myself you know being in front of just people Philadelphians you know before students. Um, but but yeah, because that's because I'm just always going out to the city trying to meet new people. Uh, have you toured yet? As a producer, no. Oh, okay. As a drummer, yes. Oh, okay. Uh, and I know that you mentioned that you'd worked with like some like Grammy people or and mm-hmm. like some older people in the game. What what's the story there? So I'm very close with a guy named David Ivory who produced like The Roots and Patti LaBelle, Erica Badu, um, and I work with Cam Hoff who wrote a few Neo songs. I work with Beyonce. Um, there's just a lot of people. Oh, the Nicola Brothers um, who worked with like Cypress Hill and, and Lauren Hill and stuff. Um, that came from drumming. And then, you know, using those relationships to, to push the production career has been helpful, too. So did you work with them as a drummer? Yeah, first? as a okay. drummer. And, you know, I would intern at their studios in high school and, you know, just be like, if you need help, just call me, you know. Any uh, valuable lessons you picked up from interning or any advice you give to people who are, like, weighing, like, the pros and cons of... I'm all for interning, but mm-hmm. current generation uh, are maybe not as down with that. Any advice that you could give or kind of, like here's why you should do it yeah or why you shouldn't do it you should do it because first of all you're learning the entire if you pick a good internship you're learning the entire time so that's already amazing and two you become close with that person because after you spend like you know days after days in the studio with the same person you know you build a rapport and you get called to do work after your internship is over so you know and especially if it's in another place away from where you're living then you get a whole new environment too so 
Yeah, I mean, and also the distance between the suburbs and the city at like 14 seems like a huge. Even now, you're like, oh, it's not that, it's not that far. Yeah, but at that time, it's like it might as well be like a world away. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, the one thing that's interesting about producing, and you kind of touched on it, is that it's like it is so collaborative. So how do you find the artists that kind of work with you in the project, or how do you weave them in to uh, Odd Kid Out? So I'm the type of person that just genuinely loves working with people. Um, now, if we want to talk about finding someone that's really, you know, meshing with my sound, I, I kind of struggle with that. Um, what do I, you mean? Well, there's just not, you know... I don't know how to put it. There's just not a lot of... I haven't found many people that can really take my beats and do something with their voice over it that sounds like the way I want it to. That being said, I've definitely come across like a good amount of people that have, but the majority that I do, it's, it, it doesn't feel like it necessarily meshes the greatest that it could. Who are some of the people that like fit well with your music? Yeah, so... Um, I'm contradicting myself, but a good amount of people. Um, a girl named Ashley Leone, who's out in Nashville now. Um, I used to be her drummer, and um, she's got the second song on the EP uh, that I just put out. Um, and she sounds great on everything. She's got a beautiful voice. Um, a rapper named Odyssey, who I'm close with, who's a high school friend. He's on the EP as well. Uh, this guy named Luke Bryan from Philly, um, a guitarist named Todd who like, sings through his, his guitar. He's amazing. Um, Acoustic or electric? He does both, but oh. mostly electric. Yeah. Great. Yeah. So he's That's awesome. awesome. <laughs> the, the list definitely goes on. I'm missing a few. but. Uh, and like, how does, you know, where's your approach in the process? I mean, people are so varied. Is it the beats are finished first and then you hand it over? Is it there's a framework? Like, how does the collaboration um how how does it come together? It definitely varies with who I work with. So a lot of the times I have people just come to my studio and shop for beats. So I'll just play them beats and, you know, you like it? Cool. Um, other times I'll have people over, like my friend Mitch Beer. Um, he comes over and we start from scratch. And both have their pros and cons. So, Do you have, like, one that you prefer over the other? Um, well... I guess I like working from the ground up with the person because then you feel like you're creating something together. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I feel like I'm just dishing beats to people and like, that's great, but I would much rather sit down with the person and really, you know, tailor it to what they, what they would want. Great. Um, let's hear something else. Yeah, sure. I'll play a song off the EP. Okay, perfect. What's this called? Uh, I'm going to play a more. This is the single. Great. Bello mio, voglio solamente meraviglioso te. Da quando ero piccola avevo sogni di un pironzato perfetto. Ti amo davvero, ti voglio bene. Salvami, baciami ancora, amami ancora, carissimo, cuore mio, dammi tutto del tuo amore, amore. I know it's been a short time, but it feels like forever. You're always on my mind. Just starting there I think that my heart always knew That I needed you there Pretty sure I know what to call it Could call it love But I don't want to move too fast Identifying us Do the same rules apply When it's up to you and me Oh, I'll take my chances now Only one thing this could be Maybe it's too early. Time to get up to tell you. Time to ask 
on that so that's uh gogo morrow who's a singer from philly uh, good name yeah dude, yeah she's awesome uh and then the rapper is bonic who actually used to be um you know killing the game in philly uh a couple years back but yeah he's the man uh so what was the process of making this ep this is your first one right yeah so i, I released something senior year as like you know Blah blah blah. That's but, fine. That, yeah, no, no, this, no, one, no one knows unless <laughs> unless you bring it up. No one's gonna know. So it's it's a, it's up to you how you want to tell that story. We'll just go back and say this is the first. Yeah. So this is this is the first Odd Kid Out release. Um, yeah. So I wanted it to be the way I put it is like an autobiography of music, basically. So um, I wanted to tell my story. Um, through music basically it, it, it's very much a story you have to listen to it from the beginning to the end and um the interludes within it you know kind of tell it um but i kind of wanted to make something that made people think and something that was cathartic to people you know um an ep is you know really about editing and you know not turning into lp so how were you able to tell your story or how did you kind of craft the story over like a shorter form so the EP was actually originally like 15 songs. and it, Of course. Yeah, so yeah. we I had to cut it down. All gold. Right. All gold. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to cut it down to six, um, and that was probably the hardest part of the EP, was figuring out how to make up for all that lost um, storytelling. So what I kind of left it up to was the emotions within the beats to, mm. to kind of speak on that, and then... Um, 
there's little tiny little snippets of things that you'll catch at the beginning and the end and if you take the time to sit and think and piece it all together it'll make sense do you have like uh who are your like trusted ears like who who do you send before it gets like the final lock so my roommate scott <laughs> he's like <laughs> <that> default <laughs> no like so, did you get paired no. freshman year and you're <laughs> <laughs> so we've been friends since um high school and we went to drexel together and he you know i'll call him into the studio and be like hey i need you to come listen to this because i trust him very much um uh another person was my manager kirkland lynch um i was sending to him let him hear it um and then the people i was talking about before like david ivory and, and all those people that really have a good ear and that i trust um and friends like you know um my friend mitch beer that i was talking about before he helped out a lot too so and uh is it uh, like open for refinement? Like, do you take their notes in, or is it more like, or, or how how do you take that in? Like, even if you feel it's like done, or where do you send it to them in the process? I send it to them when I feel excited about it, hmm. and it takes me. You know, I don't necessarily get hyped up about something when I make it. it. It kind of takes a little bit until I feel like it's at that point. And when I send it, I don't send it with the mind frame that it's done. I very much want someone to beat me up with their comments. Like I want, I want as much feedback as possible because I'm jaded because it's my own ear. So, oh, you know, so, you're, so your skin's pretty thick, or like, just something. oh yeah, okay. no, I want people to tell me what's up because I'll make the changes. I'm not Has someone that. like ever said something that kind of like slid right beneath the breastplate, kind right. of cut you a little bit? Yeah, it doesn't bother me. Oh, okay, yeah, it doesn't bother me at all. Um, and what's cool about this is that you release it on BitTorrent too. Yeah. So how yeah. did that? I mean, that's. I mean, that seems like a such a modern kind of uh, move. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did that come about? Well, we, my manager and I, thought it was a great move because they have so many listeners. Um, and when we got approached about the situation, you know, we kind of just wanted to jump on it. Um, and the, also, the great thing about it was that we got to do this um, premium edition type thing where people could enter their emails and then they'll get like you know the a more video and they'll get some pictures and stuff so it was just a way to be more personal with the fans what happened to the other songs i was gonna ask for the other uh songs the nine songs that didn't make it onto the ep is that just like ep2 ep3 do they just kind of live somewhere else i don't know i mean they may re-emerge at some point i mean they're sitting in my itunes library um but i want to do something with them for sure um plans for the summer tour Yes, I'm actually out in the studio. I'm <laughs> actually headed to LA for the summer, and I'm interning. Where are you interning? Uh, red light management. Oh, amazing! Yeah, the more business of the exactly. music side, exactly. They're I'm, great. Yeah, no, I'm really excited. And um, the great thing is that I'm not keep talking about my manager. He lives out there, um, so I'll be able to really, um, you know, spend time with him and, and work on my craft on my days that I'm off. So, I mean, don't knock a good team. No. Like you can go very, very far. Like you should, you should really like your manager. Oh my gosh, and your day to day and everything. Yeah. Um, do you know we're gonna live in LA? No, that's the one thing I haven't figured out, and it's stressing me out. You're gonna get a car? I don't know. Can you only rent it when you're like 25? Uh, yeah, I guess that is a con- yeah, that right. is a concern. I don't know. I've done. Uber, I, we have a. I work out there, and I mm-hmm. have been out there for three years. I have not rented a car in three years. Uber's like kind of really cheap. Out I heard there. the bus is the move. Yeah, I think, like, the rule is that as long as you're willing to pick up, like, all the Ubers, mm-hmm. you can probably, like, get rides for half the things. Oh, okay. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. you just have to, like, you you can't be the person without the car and be right. like, oh, oh, I would have gotten that one. You have to right. be the first to offer. Right. And I think you, I don't know. It depends. And if you're going to be in the studio most of the time anyway or yeah. at work. 
I'm going to try and get housing like right next to where I'm working so I don't have to like, you know, travel too far. Yeah, I mean, it's the one thing that kills me. I mean, it's the most classic East Coast complaint, but the traffic really, <laughs> yeah. it's like the most like stereotypical <laughs> thing for me to say. It's like the, the traffic. Um, well, I know we want to leave a lot of time for you to do a freestyle at the end just to kind of let you uh, spread your uh, legs yeah. and take us for a walk. But sure. um, where can people f- find you? How can they add to that ever-growing Instagram account, book you, <laughs> shop for beats, build songs from the ground up? Yeah, so you can find me on YouTube, uh, Spotify, iTunes, um, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all under Odd Kid Out, and that's O-D-D-K-I-D-O-U-T. Um, you are so well-trained. It's amazing. <laughs> it's incredible. Thanks, man. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no. It's really easy. Just type in Odd Kid Out. I'll pop up. You'll see mine. Uh, cool. It's well, my face. Uh, I want to thank um, our guest today. Uh, shout out to the family. Shout out to Berlin. And uh, any name for the freestyle, you're just going to just let it go. Yeah, this is just kind of like a little thing I put together. Okay, great. Uh, well, thanks for being on here and take it away. Yeah, thank you so much. Oh,
talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. This program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.